this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 406, and today we are talking about books being released on March 21st, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hi, Liberty! How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. How about with you? It is all right. It is St. Patrick's Day while we are recording yes. this. March 17th. Uh, and apparently... It is Lillian Birds in My Yard Day. Ooh. Today is the day that uh, I opened my curtains and there are juncos, goldfinches, cardinals, chickadees, woodpeckers, bluebirds. Uh, I know I'm missing some song sparrows. I just like stood at my window and watched birds for like an hour and a half and just cried because I was so happy. But today was the day they decided to come back. That's so cool. Yeah, but I have read a bit about this because we either have pigeons or we have all different kinds of birds at one time. And I was like, why are they always together? So I actually looked it up a few years ago and it's called, oh, no, I'm going to forget. Oh, mixed species flocking. Hmm. They sort of stick together because it's sort of like, you know, strength in numbers. Like there are more eyes to find food and there are more eyes to see predators. And also if a predator attacks... It causes more confusion if more birds fly off. So, like, several different types of birds will, like, all hang out together and, like, fly around. Aww. So. I like that. They're friends. I like birds. I just get so excited now. I got all my new bird feeders. I got all my food. I'm, like, getting ready. We had a giant snowstorm on Wednesday. Wednesday? Tuesday of this week? Yeah, it's always Tuesday in Maine for some reason. Um, <laughs> and got, like, eight inches of snow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm ready for some birds. But the birds did not care. They came back. They Yeah, they keep coming. We have a lot of migratory birds passing through. And oh. I live, like, a block away from the third largest lake in Iowa, which, like, for me, coming from Michigan, I'm like, it's, it's a cute little lake. But, like, it's Iowa, so everyone's like, look at that lake. It's huge. And it ices over in the winter. And I was sitting at my desk working, and my partner called me because they walk to work every day. And they're like, step outside and look at the lake. And I did. And there were, like, hundreds of birds just chilling on the ice. And I've noticed that they, they spend the night there every night on their way north. And it's kind of cool to see. Wow. Yeah, just hundreds That's of That's cool. Yeah, you can hear them. Like, you open up the door and you can just hear them all. And like I said, I live, like, a block away from the lake. And I'm like, what the heck? But, yeah, it's kind of cool to see. Oh. I would like to see lake birds. I'll try to get a picture for you next time. Next time I'm out and they're out there. Our coworker, Jamie, lives in Miami. And she lives on a lake. And she sends me pictures of birds that we most definitely do not have around here. They're usually, like, taller. <laughs> you know, like, they're very cool. Yes. A lot bigger, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. 
So let's see what else. Oh, so this is episode 406, which means that the corresponding area code today is the entire state of Montana. <laughs> Good job, Montana. Yeah, I looked it up. It says, it has been Montana's only area code since area codes were created in 1947, which is cool. But so, like, I know that Maine only has one area code. I know that New Hampshire only has one area code. I think Vermont only has one area code. Like, several states only have one area code. So I was like, how many states only have one area code? And I could not find a solid answer without, like, really, really digging. Like, there was an article from just a couple of months ago that was like, there are only nine states left that only have one area code. And then I looked at the list, and it did not include Maine or New Hampshire. And I was like, well, this list is obviously incorrect. But supposedly, as of a couple of years ago, it was 12. Like, a lot of the old articles said 12, like, states that still just have one area code. So... So interesting. I don't know. I don't know why I find this so exciting, but... I do. And it's been really fun because a lot of people have reached out now and said, like, hey, you talked about my area code. And, like, I got a message the other day from someone who's like, I can't wait for my area code in a few weeks. And it's just, I don't know, it's nerdy fun. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. It's interesting, too, to think about how area codes changed because, like, you know, when we were kids, it's like somebody would tell you your phone number and, like, by the area code, you knew where they lived. And yeah. obviously now that's not necessarily the case because, like... I'm a 231 area code, but I live in a 712 area. So, because my phone number has moved with me because we're so of much course, more mobile yeah. with our cell phones these days. It's yeah. like just kind of like a fun little thing that we'll like tell the youths about one day and they'll be like, wow, yeah. that's how you guys used to live. And we'll be like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild, the wild, wild west of area codes. Uh, before we continue this discussion, uh, we're going to hear from a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Underlined, publishers of The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson. If you know me, you know I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I've been reading her since I was an actual child and reread her at least a few times every year. So I'm so excited that this sequel is out because it's reminding me about the original that I've been meaning to read for quite some time. And now I can read both back to back. So how do you solve a murder? You follow the lessons of the master, of course, Agatha Christie. Iris and Alice find themselves in the middle of another Castle Cove mystery in this sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Agathas. This time, to understand the lies of the present, The Agathas will need to look to the mysteries of the past. The Night in Question is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. That audiobook I have my eye on, and it's narrated by Mayor Dudeja, Sophie Amos, and Holly Linneman. Thank you once again to Underlined and The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. From the best-selling author of The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle comes a new mystery. A fog has swept the planet, killing anyone it touched except for the island where villagers and scientists live in harmony. The villagers content to do what they're told by the scientists. But then one of the beloved scientists is found brutally stabbed to death and they realize the security system around the island has malfunctioned and has wiped everyone's memories of exactly what happened the night before. So someone on the island is a murderer, and they don't even know it. Best-selling author Stuart Turton is a major voice in the mystery space, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, and his second novel, The Devil and the Dark Water, have sold over 450,000 copies and become a TikTok phenomenon. He's received fantastic reviews from best-selling authors in major outlets. Make sure to check out his latest work, The Last Murder at the End of the World. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. 
So my husband has a cell phone that has a New Hampshire area code, um, even though we live in Maine now. And now New Hampshire requires you to dial the area code. You didn't used to have to dial the area code in your own state, at least where we lived. But now New Hampshire requires you to dial a call for New Hampshire with the New Hampshire area code. So he has to, like, press extra buttons every time he makes, like, a phone call, out, like, in New Hampshire. And it's, it's just so weird to me. I'm like, why? Why do you have to do that? But I can't find an answer. Like, when I call someplace in Maine, I don't have to call, like, the Maine area code. I don't know. Maine is, like, the biggest small state. I mean, it only takes six hours to get to the top. And, yes, there are lots of trees and there are lots of moose. But, like, it still feels like a very small state. When Mm -hmm. I was a little kid, we would go, you know, driving. And we lived, like, near the bottom of the state. And we would go across the bridge to New Hampshire. And you would see cars with Maine license plates. And I would assume that was somebody that I knew. Because, (laughs) you know, or any place that we drove. And, you know, we would go upstate to go to camp and I would be like, those are all people I know because they live in Maine, <laughs> you know, so I must know them. I love it. Yeah. Because kid brains are, are funny things. Yes. But we're going to switch gears now and start talking about books because that is what we are here for. That is what we live for. Before I start talking about my first book today, I want to remind you that Book Riot now has a new newsletter. It's called The Deep Dive. And if you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the world of books and reading, you can get Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive. With exclusive content right to your inbox, you can subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. And it's only $5 a month. You'll get this deep dive edition of the newsletter to your inbox twice a month. Or if you're on the fence and need some time before making the commitment, a free subscription will get you the splash pad, which rounds out some of our experts' recommended reading and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. So go to bookriot.substack.com to check that out. All right. So my first pick for today is one that I will be completely honest. I just, I know this is a privilege, but I'm just very tired of reading World War II novels. Like, I just needed a break for a while. And so I haven't been reading very many. And I was going to skip over this one because it was like World War II. But I kept hearing amazing things about this book. And so I was like, okay, I have to read it. It's called Beyond That, The Sea by Laura Spence Ash. And let me tell you. So it normally takes me four or five hours if I sit down and read a book cover to cover like this size. But I kept having to stop and cry reading this Mm. book. It took me so long to read it because it was so affecting. I just, I kept crying. And I don't know if that's a selling point, but oh my goodness, if you need to get some feels out, oh, this book is amazing. It's so beautiful and so sad. It's just this incredible story of family and love and loss. It has multiple narrators, like eight at least, but it's not confusing in any way. It's so perfect for her narration, the way the story is told. Um, It revolves around a young girl named Beatrix. She's 11 years old when the book starts. Uh, She lives in London with her parents, and it's 1940. Her parents, Millie and Reg, are worried about the war that has started the bombings. You know, they have this little girl. They live in a really tiny, cramped apartment in the middle of the city. And they're also worried about Beatrix because she has become obsessed with with reading about the war and reading about nerve gas. And then one day Millie comes home from work and Beatrix is sitting by herself in the house with a gas mask on. And she realizes, like, this is not this is not healthy for her. Like, this is this is not 
a good situation. Um, so her parents decide that they're going to send Beatrix to America. There's a program where you apply and they're sending lots of kids overseas or out to the country to get them away from the bombings. Uh, and they hear back from a family in Massachusetts, the Gregories, and they're going to send Beatrix to the Gregories. And then, you know, she can come home when the war is over. And Beatrix is mad. She doesn't want to go. Like, understandably, she's a child. She doesn't know these people. She's going to be leaving her parents and the only life that she knows. Um, she's also angry because she's been led to believe that it's her mother's idea, when in fact it was actually her father's idea. So she's furious at her mother, and her mother feels like she can't betray her father by saying, like, I don't want this. You know, she feels, you know, it's the 1940s. She feels like she has to do what her husband wants. So she's headed across the sea, and she meets the Gregories. They are Nancy and Ethan, and their two sons, William and Gerald. Um, Ethan works at a school, and they live in faculty housing. Um, and it's a very different life than the tiny apartment that Beatrix is used to in London. There's a yard, and they have a dog, and she has her own room. There's baking, and Nancy takes her shopping. Nancy has always wanted a daughter. Like, she had always hoped that she would have a daughter. Um, and now here's this beautiful young girl who's very polite, and they seem to get along really great. And she becomes very attached to B. They call her B. Um, when she's in London, they call her Trixie, but in America, her American family calls her B. And meanwhile, Millie is home. She's sick with grief, you know, missing her daughter. She's angry at her husband for letting her send she's she's like let's let's get her back right now you know and he's telling her no no this is for the best we have to wait till the war is over so she's angry at him she's getting letters from Beatrix saying like oh I you know went swimming for the first time and I learned how to swim and I went shopping and I bought this dress and she's sending photos and and Millie is angry because you know she thinks these people are trying to take her daughter away from her you know they're spoiling her and, and she feels like she thinks it's driving a wedge between them now, the, the Gregory sons, William and Gerald, are complete opposites. They're uh, two years apart, and uh, William is the older one, and Gerald is the younger one. Gerald is, I think he's like, they're like 11 or 12 and 9 or 12 and 10 when, when Beatrix gets there. Gerald is like a golden retriever. He just wants to play and have fun and run around, and he just irritates William more and more as they get older. Um, they don't get along very well. William is very serious. And he has slowly started rebelling against his parents. It's basically a guarantee that he's going to get into Harvard because his whole family, all the men in his family have gone to Harvard. And so it's basically assured that he's going to have a spot. He doesn't know that he wants to go to Harvard. He's really upset about the war. He thinks that, uh, you know, after Beatrix has been there for a couple of years, then the U.S. becomes involved in the war. And now he wants to join the army when he is 18. And his parents are like, absolutely not. And in between this... The Gregory's and Beatrix spend their summers in Maine. They own a house on an island. It's like a tiny, tiny island off the coast of Maine. It's the only house on the island. It's like a magical place. Beatrix is having the best time of her life. And like I said, a year passes, two years passes, then five years goes by. You know, this is like Beatrix's own family now. She's grown to love them like her own, you know. Well, meanwhile, across the pond, her parents are waiting out the war. Bad things are happening. You know, her mother's volunteering, her father's volunteering, all this stuff is going on. And William and B grow very close. They eventually have a very deep love for one another. But they always knew that this was going to come to an end. And Beatrix will have to return to England. Choices will be made. She'll now return to her old life. She'll be torn in two. You know, because all of her favorite things and her favorite memories now are back in America. And it's going to be very hard for her to adjust. 
And meanwhile, you know, Gregory's, the Gregory's and B's family, we're going to find out about all the decisions that they make as the decades go by. It starts to jump in time. It's so tremendously moving. I cried so much. Like, seriously. I think that one of the things that got me is that this is like a real, this is a real thing. This is a real story. This is something that actually, like, it's it's a novel, but people had to send their children away. War was a real thing. People had to do this. You know, these people had to make the decision to send your child away and then wonder if you were going to live through the night. And it just, oh, it just kept hitting me so hard over and over. It's just this amazing story about family, both biological and found family, about decisions and consequences, and about love. I, if the rights, I would be surprised if the rights haven't already been bought, but I, I mean, this would make a really moving movie. I'm sure the rights have to be gone already. Uh, I do want to give content warnings. There is a mention of child abuse and sexual assault off the page. Um, There's body shaming, war, trauma, and grief, substance abuse, infidelity, car accidents, and loss of a loved one and loss of a pet. It is called Beyond That the Sea by Laura Spence Ash. Oh, man. I'm glad that you read that one and talked about it because that was kind of on my radar. And then I saw that you were going to talk about it for the show. So I was like, okay, I'll wait and read it. But now I really, really, really want to read it. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, like, I don't mean this in a bad way at all. Like, I just didn't want to read any more World War II novels right now. You know, like, there's nothing wrong with them. I hope that comes across. Like, there's nothing wrong with them. I just, I've read so many that I was like, I'm going to take a break for a while. But this one, I just kept hearing so many amazing things about it that I, I had to read it. I'm so glad I did. But also, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It sounds like a, like definitely a good tearjerker, but in a good way. Yeah. All right. Um, my first pick is a bit of a swerve. It's Wally <laughs> We're Dreaming by um, Alicia Rye. And so she's the author of a bunch of adult romance novels. Um, and I think I've even possibly read one or two and talked about them on the show. The titles are escaping me, but I know I've read some of her adult stuff. Um, this is her um, YA debut. And it is a retelling or sort of homage to um, While You Were Sleeping, which is that wonderful Sandra Bullock movie from like, what, the 90s, um, which I love that movie. There's some arguments to be made about some dubious choices made by some of those characters, but I still think it's fantastic. So this is about Sonia, who has this major crush on a guy that she's never really talked to. And she has this plan. She's going to go to the local Comic Con. She's all dressed up in her costume. And she's hoping to just, you know meet his eyes, sparks fly, falling in love, like all the good things. That's what she's dreaming of. Instead, what happens is he faints and falls into a canal while at the Comic-Con before she can make her move. And because she's like watching him and seeing this happen, um, she jumps to his rescue and she pulls him out and basically saves his life. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's caught on camera. The moment goes viral. Keep in mind, she's still completely clothed in her cosplay, so nobody can tell who she is. And now everybody wants to know, like, who is this masked do-gooder who um, saved this guy? But the problem is that Sonia does not want anybody 
to like publicly know who she is because unfortunately um, her mother was deported back to Mumbai and her sister is living undocumented. So there is some true peril to people figuring out who she is. And that creates some delicious tension because of course she would love to be seen as the hero who saved her crush. And she wants to be able to connect with him and, you know, make sure that he's okay and be like, Hey, it was me. I saved you. Also. Hi, I like you, but she can't do that as simply as she would like. Um, I also like that this is a book about going viral but not like in the way that you want you know we sometimes talk about how oh wouldn't it be cool if I went viral for this thing or that thing but I'm liking that there are some YA books that are showing kind of like the I don't want to say like the dark side of going viral but like maybe the unwanted side effects of going viral um so that um is also an element to this book but it is you know just sounds very fun and I didn't quite finish it. I got most of the way through it and I'm really enjoying it. So I can't wait to finish it. And that is While You Were Dreaming by Alicia Rye. All right. So my next picks are, it's actually a twofer because they're comics and I loved them so much. Um, the first one is Quests Aside, Volume 1, Adventurers Anonymous by Brian Shermer, Elena Gogu, Rebecca Nalti, and Andworld Design. So this is a graphic novel. It's a fantasy. I call it Cheers meets Dungeons and Dragons. It's about a tavern in the middle of the woods. You know, it's looking like a little, like, Game of Thronesy, like, the woods area and all this. Uh, because, like I said, it's kind of Dungeons and Dragons. And the owner of the tavern is named Barrow. He's this big, burly man with a beard. And he was, at one time, the most feared and adventurous fighter in all the land. Um, and he has stopped doing that. He is retired, and now he runs a tavern. So, kind of also like a little, like, Legends and Lattes. And he has a motley crew of employees. Some of them are former adventurers themselves. There's a possible secret piratey royalty person. Um, there's a living skeleton that works for him. There's a mage's apprentice. And they just have, like, the basic camaraderie and relationships and quibbles that you find in a restaurant. So maybe, like, a little sweet bitter. There's a lot of comps here that I'm throwing out. But Barrow himself is haunted by a literal ghost who he has conversations with um, that only he can see. And when the book starts, we don't know who that ghost is um, or who it, he was or whatever. Barrow also runs a support group called Adventurers Anonymous for former adventurers out of his bar. So, like, all of these people who used to go on quests and stuff, you know, they, they meet in the basement and they're like, oh, you know, I miss you know, fighting bad guys and collecting rewards and rescuing people and all this stuff, you know, it's really, it's really fun. Um, but then one day, the king of the land, who was a friend of Barrow's, who Barrow has done many favors for, uh, shows up at the tavern and says, I know we used to be friends. I'm paraphrasing now, by the way. I know we used to be friends, but, you know, whatever, I'm the king and whatever I want goes. And I've decided that your tavern is right in the way of uh, some expansion plans that I have for myself. So, uh, you have to leave because I'm going to tear it down. And obviously Barrow's like, jeez, friendship means nothing to you? And the king's like, no, nothing. Sorry. Get out. 
Um, so Barra decides that he's not going to go down without a fight. It is tons of silly fun and it, I, not really any trigger warnings, just maybe like, you know, some comic fantasy violence, but there's no gore or anything like that. Um, definitely like teenager appropriate. And that one is Quests Aside, Volume 1, Adventurers Anonymous. And my other pick for today is one that I read. I've been waiting so long to tell you about this. I'm so in love with this book. It's called Bee Wolf by Zach Weiner-Smith and Boulet, the artist. It is a middle grade comic based loosely, not even that loosely, on Beowulf, which we all know Beowulf. You know, I have not read Beowulf myself. I know there are many translations. So I looked it up on Wikipedia to find out exactly what Beowulf is so I could tell you. Beowulf is an old English epic poem. This is according to Wikipedia. In the tradition of Germanic heroic legend, consisting of 3,182 alliterative lines, it is one of the most important and often translated works of old English literature. And the author is unknown. So we know Beowulf. Like it was a movie with Angelina Jolie and Ray Winston and all that stuff, whatever. This is like a middle grade graphic novel retelling. It's about this group of kids who have a club in their treehouse. They call it the Treeheart House or the Treeheart Club. And they play up there and they're having a great time until their mean, fun-hating neighbor, Grindel, decides to shut it down. He doesn't like fun. He doesn't like kids making noise. Um, He's going to do something about it. Grindel looks like a cross between Albert Finney's Hercule Poirot and all I could think of was the guy on the cover of Collective Soul's debut album, Hints, Allegations, and Things Left Unsaid. Like, you know, that little mustache guy with his mouth wide open? That's what I thought of. And so Grindel starts turning all the kids into adults because adults don't have fun. This is how he's going to solve the problem. And someone is going to have to stop in and like step in and stop him because we can't have this keep going on. So that is going to be Beowulf. It might be Beowulf. I don't know, but it's spelled B-E-A and then Wolf. I just realized that two of my books today have characters starring B. Anyway, um, like I said, it's told in the style of Beowulf. I wanted to read you just like a tiny little bit of it to give you an idea of what I mean. He would stride the starless dark, staring over hedge, stirring his temper, harrowing his hearing, hating the gum smacking, the blowing of bubbles, the butt jokes and belching laughter, the bursting of bang snaps, the vast volumed video games of no educational value whatsoever. Oh, how he listened by night, loathing Treehearts, fun lovers. Mr. Grindle, he was called, for his father was Mr. Grindle, and his mother was Mrs. Grindle, and that is how names work. It's so much fun. And the artwork is incredible. Just absolutely stunning. I'm just, I'm so in love with this book. I can't wait for everyone else to read it because it's such a great time. And it's like, I just gave you a little glimpse. It's really fun to read out loud. Uh, so that one is Bee Wolf by Zach Weinersmith and Boulet. So those are my two first today. I love that recasting of Beowulf. It sounds really clever and I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's really fun. Awesome. And before we hear Tears' pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iamide and Adiba Jai Gadar. And let me just say, these two authors are powerhouse YA authors. They write bangers. They write fire novels that slap. Just letting y'all know that 
off rip. So ex-best friends Tiwa and Saeed must work together to save their Islamic center from demolition. Tiwa doesn't understand what made Saeed start ignoring her, but it's probably that fancy boarding school of his. Anyway, he's unexpectedly staying at home through the summer and she's determined to take a page from him and pretend he doesn't exist. So there's that. But when the Islamic Center accidentally catches fire, it turns out the mayor plans to demolish the center entirely. Shady, shady boots. So will all their efforts be enough to save the Islamic Center, save Saeed, and maybe even save their relationship? Listen, time will tell. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iyamide and Adiba Jagadar for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. What do you have for us? Um, well, my second pick today is a graphic novel. And it is about this girl named Belle Hawkins. And she is the high school team mascot, which is like this, um, I'm not sure if exactly it's supposed to be like some sort of wild cat, but it's like this big cat head that she wears everywhere because she's really shy. And um, the beginning of the book, she is working up the courage to ask her longtime crush, um, Regina, out um, for the winter dance. And so Regina is a cheerleader. Um, She, you know, goes up to her and she very awkwardly and very sweetly asks if she wants to go to the dance with her cat head still on. And Regina's like, um, can you maybe take that, that mascot hat off so I can see who's asking? And so she does. And then Regina, like, heartbreakingly, like, absolutely rejects her. And she, like, sort of tries to be nice about it, but she could be nicer. Um, She's mostly like, oh, you're so cute. But, you know, I already have a girlfriend. So, you know, no. But keep trying. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Keep trying. Um, So Regina is seemingly oblivious to how devastated Hawkins is to be rejected. Um, And then um, we find out that Regina has a girlfriend already. And her girlfriend is Chloe. She's very much like an athletic jock type. And she's not at all pleased to know that Hawkins has asked out her girlfriend to the winter dance. So there's some, you know, awkwardness and a bit of tension between them. 
And then everything just like gets so much worse because it turns out that Chloe is not so great at the um, academics. She's struggling in English and she really needs to keep her grades up if she is going to continue to um, be an athlete at school. So Regina is like, oh, well, Hawkins asked me out and Hawkins will do anything to make me happy. So I'll ask Hawkins to tutor my girlfriend for free so she can still keep playing, Um, which is, you know, not not so ethical, not so good. And of course, Hawkins is like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do it. But Regina's plan starts to backfire because she doesn't know that Hawkins and Chloe used to know each other as kids and they have this history. So it is a messy, complicated story. It's, you know, obviously very queer, which I loved. And it um, is romantic, but, you know, the romance is not what you would expect. So I liked the illustrations. They were fun. They were bright. They weren't too cutesy, but, like, the entire graphic novel is done in, like, this shade of... But it's like black and white and then like shades of pink, like very bright cotton candy pink, which is very eye catching. Um, but I think it somehow also is balanced really well, I think. So that is Bell of the Ball by Mari Costa. And it was really fun. I also really enjoyed this one. I loved the artwork. The, I, like, I wish I could describe, the, like I seem to be drawn to that kind of like realistic human artwork, which is sort of like... Pixar people kind of yeah does that make any sense no I follow it's it's not like hyper realistic but it, right, it, right. it is it's a little cartoony but it's not like childish yeah. cartoony so yeah yeah I really liked that one I just loved her mascot head and how she'd like wear it around and people would be like you know, take that <laughs> off <laughs> yeah I wish I could wear a mascot head everywhere um but I'm just at home right now so not necessary So those are books that we have read and enjoyed, and now we are going to talk about a couple more of today's releases in hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I'm going to first mention a book called Flux by Jinwoo Chong, and I will tell you that I really wanted to read this book for the podcast, but I don't know how this happened. Uh, When I went to read it a couple weeks ago, the PDF was formatted in such a way that the, you know, you're reading a physical book and it says like the author's name at the top of one page and the name of the book at the other page. And like on each, you know, each time you turn the page, it says those two things at the top. Somehow those got mixed up in the middle of the text of the book so that there would be like random large letters going all the way down the page and you would have to try and read the text around them. And I made it about 30 pages, like trying to like get my eyes to follow and, and read it before I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is too much work, and I felt bad. So they sent me a physical copy, but unfortunately, it just got here yesterday, so I didn't get to it in time. But this book sounds amazing. It has amazing reviews. It's about three men at various ages. There is a young boy who has just lost his mother. There's a young man who has just been laid off from his job. And there is a middle-aged man who is testifying in a criminal trial. Now, I know that all of their names start with B. And the book is supposed to be some kind of, like, time-bendy, wibbly-wobbly story. Uh, The part that I read at the opening was about the young man. He is uh, having a secret affair with his manager at a magazine. He works in the advertising department. 
And then his boss slash secret boyfriend calls him in and says, the magazine has been bought and you're being laid off. Um, and that's a bummer. He's also obsessed with a crime show from the early 1980s that ran for two shows. Um, it was about a detective and it was the first starring television vehicle for an Asian man. And he talks about that actor and keeps referring to like, what would that character in that show do? And so apparently this show is going to play a part throughout the whole novel. And also these characters' lives are going to overlap. And there's also something about some possibly dangerous experimental technology. It all sounds fantastic. I'm going to read it this weekend. It is called Flux. It is by Jin Woo Chung. Awesome. All right. My next pick is Three Drops of Blood by Gretchen McNeil. Gretchen McNeil is a YA author who's written a ton of like thriller, mystery type books. Um, I've um, read her book 10, which I enjoyed. It came back, it came out a while, a while back now, but I really enjoyed it because it was um, an update on um, And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. But this new one, Three Drops of Blood, is about Kate, who is an actress and she is pretty young, just, um, I think she's like either still in high school or she's just gotten out of high school. And she gets this chance at a leading role in a TV series and she's like really excited, but then it gets canceled at the last minute. So she is out of a job and she doesn't want to go back to her parents and go back to like her boring teenage life. So she is going to try and convince her parents that she she can make it on her own and that she can stay in LA and um, she's going to get another role. And so in the meantime, she is working um, in an office of a law firm and she's basically just doing like paperwork and filing and it's really boring. And she's a little bit, you know, more than a little bit down in the dumps about how her life has taken this turn. And so she is basically entertaining herself by like watching everybody around her and kind of like imagining what their lives are like. But then that takes a bit of a dark turn when she sees a woman and her assistant um, in sort of an interesting position. And then she's watching them. And then all of a sudden she witnesses a double murder and she's like, Oh my goodness, you know, what just happened? Who are these people? Why were they murdered? Like, who's responsible and so it's kind of like this rear window um type of scenario and she feels like she's the only one who can figure this out and try to find the answers but once she starts digging into it she realizes that the mystery is a lot larger than she initially thought so I don't normally go for Hollywood type set books um I say this a lot but then I end up reading you know I ended up reading a fair bit of them. Um, and mostly I think it's because there's been some really great, interesting books that kind of look, I think, beyond like the glitz and the glamour and sort of looking at the dark side. And so that's kind of interesting to see, you know, how authors can um, explore different worlds and especially like worlds that are like I would never be involved in that is like so far from like my everyday reality um, to yeah, just kind of dig into those and see the mysteries that can pop up. So that is Three Drops of Blood by Gretchen McNeil. I downloaded it to my e-reader, the, the advanced copy, and I'm going to definitely give that a read because I'm in the mood for a good mystery. All right. My other pick for today is another one I hope to read this weekend. It is Biography of X, just the letter X, by Catherine Lacey. I love Catherine Lacey. 
This is about a famous artist named X who has died. And her widow, CM, also initials, realizes that now that X is gone, she can finally start to learn about her because X was a very, very, very private person, had many guarded secrets, and said very little about her past. But as CM starts to investigate, she kind of opens a can of worms and realizes she didn't know X at all, and it's going to be wilder and more alarming than she ever realized. Um, and we're kind of like learning the results of her investigation as she goes along. Therefore, like CM is kind of writing the biography of X. So I'm very excited to read this. It has been getting amazing reviews. Um, you've probably read Catherine Lacey. She's the author of things like Nobody is Ever Missing, The Answers, Pew. She had a short story collection. Also, the cover of this book, every time I look at it, I think it's Alexander Chi's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. Like, it looks very similar to me. So that also makes me happy. Um, and this one is Biography of X by Catherine Lacey. All right. So my final pick is The Witch and the Vampire by Francesca Flores. And I was intrigued by the title, but then I was even more intrigued when I heard that it is a queer Rapunzel retelling sign me all the way up. I loved the Rapunzel fairy tale as a kid. I don't know why I was really into Rapunzel as a kid. So queer Rapunzel, this is definitely my catnip. It is about Ava and Kay, and they used to be best friends. And they are, or at least one of them, I think Ava's a witch. But before the book starts, vampires have attacked their town. And as a result of this attack, like Kay's mom was killed. Ava was turned into a vampire. They're, they could no longer be friends because, you know, vampires and witches do not um, mix. And so now in the present, Ava has been kind of trapped in her bad situation. Um, she is a vampire. She wants to get out of their town. And Kay, in the meantime, has been training as a flame witch, which is basically just the special job of anybody to like kill um, vampires, basically. So the night that Ava makes her move to escape their town and go into the woods that surrounds their town, Kay follows her, trying to capitalize on their once friendship to try to lure Ava back and, and then basically turn her in. But as they get deeper into the forest, there's a lot of dangerous things there, and they're basically going to have to work together in order to survive. Ava's stepfather is also trying to track her down, so they are literally running away from him, but also trying to survive in a very dangerous situation and rekindling their friendship, possibly romance. So sounds fantastic to me. The cover is like very pretty. It has like a lot of flowers and then it has, you know, two hands holding, um, which is very lesbian. I, I swear half the lesbian books of like the early 2010s were just basically girls holding hands. So this is a nice homage to that, I think. Um, but it's a very gorgeous cover. And I somehow I think this book just kind of like slipped my notice for a long time because I really only heard about it um, for the first time a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to find books um, that I wanted to talk about today. So now I'm really excited to read The Witch and the Vampire by Francesca Flores. 
I'm like super into vampires right now again. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, they're coming back. They're coming back. And I'm yeah. okay with that. Everything comes back <laughs> in yeah. style. So as I was reminded when I watched Scream 6 and there were lots of midriff bearing tops and I was like, oh, that's back now. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. They haven't really gone away, but like witches are really big right now. Like there are so many, 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 many books about witches right now. Yes. But someday it'll flip and it'll be like vampires again or werewolves or zombies or robots or whatever else. There's all kinds of great things. Yeah. It's very exciting. Zombies might be coming back after The Last of Us was so popular. So who knows? Yeah. True. So those are our picks. Uh, now we're going to hear about a few paperback releases. Out today is Post Traumatic by Chantal V. Johnson. Uh, several people I know told me this was the best book they read last year. So I got a copy. Have I read it? No. Story of my life. Uh, but I hope to. Um, it's about a lawyer facing her dark past. The Stowaway by James S. Murray and Darren Wearmouth. I talked about this on the show because it's like, it's about a serial killer running amok on a cruise liner. It's so ridiculous. And I just thought it was so much fun. It's, I mean, look, nothing about this is plausible at all. Uh, and I adored that. Portrait of an Unknown Lady by Maria Gainza, translated by Thomas Bunstead, about an employee at an auction house who is trying to catch a forger. Young Mungo by Douglas Stewart was the author of Shuggy Bane, which won the Booker Prize a couple of years ago. This new novel is about the first love between two young men. The Lincoln Highway by Immortals. This is from the author of Gentleman in Moscow, about a young man who has just left a juvenile detention center where he was uh, working on a farm. Uh, and when he returns home, he finds some other people from that farm hiding in the trunk. And there's a road trip of some kind. I haven't read this one, but... I hope to also own it. Ugh. To Paradise by Hanya Yanagahara uh, from the author of Little Life. This one is a story told in three sections. Uh, some, there's some alternative history in these sections. Uh, there's a future section um, about relationships and all kinds of different things. The Cartographers by Peng Shepard about a young woman named Nell Young, who is a cartographer. She studies maps, as does her father. And then one day they have a falling out over a map that he tells her is inconsequential and to forget about. And years later, uh, when he is found dead in his office, she finds this map hiding and decides to investigate it and find out why he held on to such an inconsequential map. Disorientation by Elaine C. Shu about a Taiwanese-American woman working on her PhD dissertation about a Chinese poet and she cannot wait to be done with her work and then she finds a note in a book while she's researching the poet that changes everything. And The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave, which is going to be a movie very soon or might possibly already be streaming somewhere. Um, this is about a woman whose new husband disappears, but not before he hands her a note that says, protect her, uh, which she takes to mean his 16-year-old daughter. Uh, and she's going to have to find out about all these secrets. Which also reminds me, makes me think of Monk, because there's a very similar thing that happens in Monk, and they just announced that they are making a TV movie of Monk. All the characters are going to reunite, and that is very exciting, because I love Tony Shalhoub. And that's it for paperbacks today. So, Tirza, what are you going to read next? Um, I'm really excited. I just picked up A Long Stretch of Bad Days by Mindy McGinnis from the library. It came out last week. I love Mindy McGinnis. She writes like just the 
darkest YA. And it's really fantastic to see um, somebody, (laughs) I also like get away with it. But like, she's been doing it for a while. She's this is like her 12th book. But she has written some really great stuff. Um, If you remember, I was super hyped about the initial insult and the last laugh, um, which were her last two books. Um, Again, so dark, so wonderful, really harrowing good stuff. Um, I like her books because they're usually set in small Midwestern towns. Um, And then so this one is about two girls who have to team up to do a podcast about their town's history. And they have to do this in order to get enough credits to graduate from high school. And so they focus on their town's long stretch of bad days, which was like, I don't know if it was like 10 or 20 years previously, there was a tornado and there was like three really bad things that hit their town in like the space of like 10 days. And it was really devastating. But then as they're digging into it, they're like, oh, there's also like this link of like disappearances connected to this like long stretch of bad days. And so they start investigating. So I'm really excited to read it. I really enjoyed it. I also really enjoyed Mindy McGinnis. And I remember, I think it was the female of the species. Like everybody was talking about a book, right? Like, oh, yes. you have to read it. And I didn't read that one. And I ended up picking up, I think the one after that. And I was like, oh, wow, this <laughs> is really, really dark. Uh, and I've read several since then. And it's just, yeah, like really dark stuff. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I think, like, her most challenged book is, like, not even her darkest book. <laughs> it's, it's heroin is the most challenged one because oh, it's yeah. about the opioid epidemic. But I'm like, yeah. oh, there, there are so much darker books by her that you could be challenging. Don't challenge them. But, like, you know, yeah. it's just funny to, like, think about. Yeah, it's, you know, people are just reading the title and, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, the description. I just got, I did not know this was going to be a thing, but I just got Hyde, the graphic novel. Oh. Which is coming out in September. Um, Hyde was a novel that came out from Kirsten White, her first adult novel last year. I can't remember if I talked about it on the show. I might have, or I might have just mentioned that I loved it. I thought it was great fun. It's like about a reality competition set at an abandoned amusement park, and nothing good is going to happen. It's a horror novel. And it is for adults, but it doesn't say here whether or not this is aimed at teens or adults. I know that it's also being adapted into something. I don't know if it's a movie or a TV show, but this graphic novel is adapted by Scott Peterson and illustrated by Veronica and Andy Fish. And so I'm looking forward to reading that. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can check out the deep dive by going to bookriot.substack.com. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online... I hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. Tears are where are you these days? I'm on Instagram at at tears of price. All right. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts you know, from magical woodland creatures. I don't know. Uh, you can leave a rating or review to help other book lovers find us. And we appreciate it greatly. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.